welcome to the Marathon Medic podcast. My name's Amy, I'm a junior doctor and running coach with an interest in sports medicine. On this episode of the podcast, I'm joined by Dr. Anjali Marto. Anjali is a consultant dermatologist and author of the Skincare Bible. We're chatting about skincare for physically active individuals and the importance of protecting our skin from the sun. Hi, Anjali. Thank you so much for uh, joining me. Um, Would you mind just starting off by just telling everyone a little bit about who you are and and what you do? Absolutely. So um, I'm Anjali Marto. I'm a consultant dermatologist based in London. I'm a spokesperson for the British Skin Foundation, um, and I've written a book called The Skincare Bible. But the main thing really is my day-to-day work involves seeing patients with skin conditions ranging from things like acne all the way up to skin cancer. Perfect. And and that's exactly why um, I asked you to have a chat with me today. And I was hoping that we could uh, speak about skin, but specifically related to people that are particularly um, outdoorsy and engage in a lot of physical activity as well. So I suppose my first question is, um, is the skin any different in those people that are more physically active compared to those that lead a more sedentary lifestyle? So I think this is a good question. But fundamentally, skin is the same in sort of people who are active versus people who are not. But the main difference, I think, is really the fact that people that do a lot of sport are prone to a number of skin problems. And those types of skin problems very much depend on the type of sport that you do. So, you know, if you do team sports, you've got lots of skin to skin contact with people. The risk of infection, such as ringworm or herpes, can be quite high. If you do a lot of swimming and you're, you know, in communal changing rooms or showers, picking up viral warts is quite easy because warts and veruca, they take the virus that causes them lives on wet surfaces. So it's very easy to pick up if you've got broken skin yourself. If you're on the playing field, you know, if you get injuries there, like turf burns, that could be an issue. If you're a runner, problems with blistering, calluses, you know, nails falling off, nail abnormalities, chafing can be an issue. And then if you do a lot of outdoor sports, you know, be that in the summer, if that's surfing, or be that in the winter, if it's skiing or snowboarding and you're at altitude, there is a potentially higher risk of skin cancer as a result of sun exposure. So I'd say that actually, depending on the type of sport that you do, it does increase your vulnerability to a number of skin issues related to that. I guess um, from my perspective, obviously, I, my main interest is is running. So that is there any skin conditions that you particularly see in running? I know you mentioned a few of those. Uh, I recognize myself in terms of like chafing and problems with nails. Is there anything uh, runners particularly te- seem to suffer with? Well, I think those are the big ones, actually. But then I think mm-hmm. further down the line, what you do see is people that have done sport for a long period of time sun exposure tends to catch up with them. So, you know, when you're in your teens or in your early 20s and you you start running, you know, you've got a little bit of sun. But if that's a hobby that you continue with for the rest of your life, what we do know is that sun exposure is firstly one of the biggest causes of skin aging. So skin wrinkling, pigmentation, but secondly, also one of the risks for skin cancer as well. So I think the focus on skin cancer is quite important. The second thing that I would say is if you're wearing sportswear for long periods of time, so you know if you are running long distances, you're sweating. The second thing that I tend to see is some people are very prone to getting body acne. So for example, spots on their back or their chest from tight-fitting sports bras, that can be quite common. 
The third thing is people that take a lot of supplements um, alongside their training. So I know some people are, take a lot of protein supplements. And one of the things that I have noted is people that take a lot of whey protein supplements may also find that their acne is triggered by that as well. So a number of things that I think one can think of specifically related to running itself. Perfect. And I know we're definitely going to um, focus quite heavily on on skin cancer and the risks in this talk. Um, just firstly, if we could touch on the sweating aspect of, of sports and the increased risk of acne. Do you think people that engage in lots of physical activity should be looking after their skin in a different way? Should there be different skincare routines for these individuals? And also, is there anything that they can do to reduce the risk of that sweat accumulating um, and, and causing havoc with their skin? Yeah, I think the first one and the what well, seems like a really obvious one is don't train in makeup. You know, if you yeah. are going to be outdoors, you're running long distances, you're going to get sweaty, that heat, that sweat, that increase in body temperature underneath, you know, makeup as well is going to occlude. So number one, you know, avoid makeup if you can. The second thing I'd say actually is making sure that after you have finished your training that you do actually cleanse properly afterwards. If you are unable to shower immediately and, and that should be, you know, the end goal, you don't want heat, sweat, pollution sitting directly underneath your skin. What I would say is jump in the shower straight away. Don't sit around in your sweaty gym kit, which I think a lot of us are guilty of. The third thing is if you're not able to do that, you know, certainly body areas where you are prone to getting sweat accumulation, at least wipe those down. Be that with a face wipe or a cotton pad and a micellar water just to use to wipe your face clean or your chest and your back. You know, the areas where things tend to pull, basically. Perfect. That's that's really um, good advice. And actually, I, I'm the same. I can sit around without showering for, for quite a while. And it's only afterwards that you think, oh, I should have I should have done that straight away. Let's talk about skin cancer. I think it's quite easy when you're young to, to push it back as a problem that happens in, in later life. But obviously, skin cancer is something that can actually affect quite quite young people. So I was just wondering if, if first we could just discuss basically what skin cancer is, who, who it affects, how common is it in the UK at the moment? Yeah, so skin cancer actually is a very common cancer. And as you know, most cancers will increase with age. Interestingly, melanoma is not one of those types of skin cancers, and you do see it in young people as well. And one of the things that we know is that ultraviolet exposure or sunlight is the most significant risk factor, or at least the most significant modifiable risk factor that we've got in the development of skin cancer. Now, with skin cancer itself, there are different types of skin cancer. There are the melanoma skin cancer types, and these are the ones that develop from moles, which are either pre-existing or new moles which appear and change, or there is non-melanoma skin cancer, and these include things like basal cell carcinomas and squamous cell carcinomas, BCCs and SCCs for short. Now, the main difference with these two different groups of skin cancer is Melanoma is thought to occur due to high intensity but intermittent sun exposure. So, you know, if you're out and about for two weeks of the year, every year, getting a tan and you're burning and repeatedly burning, that will increase your risk of melanoma. Then your non-melanoma skin cancers can occur as a result of cumulative chronic sun exposure. So each year of life, you get a bit more sun, a bit more sun, a bit more sun, and then suddenly your body has enough and these skin cancers start to develop. People that do sport, though, um, particularly outdoor sport, are at increased risk of both types of those skin cancer. So really, you know, if we look at the other risk factors that exist, it's really hard to change those other risk factors 
Reducing the amount of sunlight we get is probably the simplest and the easiest way that we can reduce our risk. And I think a lot of people don't realize that skin cancer is potentially fatal. You know, melanoma can spread to other organs of the body. It can kill you. You know, young people die of melanoma. And I think that the the kind of risk of it is massively underestimated, um, possibly because I think it's one of those things until it happens to you or someone that you know, you just don't think it's going to happen to you. Yeah, I I agree. And I think there's a lot going on when you're planning, say, say for me, a long run, you're thinking about nutrition and the kit that you need to take and keeping well hydrated that often your sun protection can kind of fall, fall down your list of priorities, whereas really that should be one of the top priorities because that's going to have a huge impact on your your health over the long term. You mentioned people that are physically active and outside a lot more uh, are more at risk. I was just wondering if there's any particular sports that are at higher risk. I guess in my mind, I'm just wondering about water sports or sports where there's kind of excessive sweating and if that's an increased risk because you know you're washing off your SPF at the same time. Most of it is related to, firstly, how much of your body is exposed, how long it's exposed for, which bit of the world you're in, what time you're training. So all of those factors come into play. So if we look at sort of specific groups of athletes, for example, you know, there is data that shows that people who run marathons have got higher rates of skin cancer. Certainly from a practical point of view, and I know in clinic I will ask this, you know, do you do any outdoor sports like gardening, golf, tennis, running, fishing, anything where you'd be outside in the sun, potentially for hours at a time. You know, we're not talking sort of five, 10 minutes here and there, but there is prolonged, sustained sun exposure. The other ones that one tends to think about are your winter sports. Um, The thing with winter sports, though, is most of your body is usually covered. So it's normally the face that's exposed. Um, And there, what you tend to see are the non-melanoma type of skin cancers, which often occur on the face and the neck. But if we're talking about the ones that we worry about most, like melanoma, you know, certainly running is a risk factor if you do long-term sport, particularly marathon running. That's that's really good to know. And you you mentioned there with uh, winter sports, it's it's the face that's often most at risk because that's where it's exposed. Which areas of the body are more at risk, and is that different uh, between males and females as well? Yes. So if you look at melanoma skin cancer in men, the commonest site of melanoma is the back. And in women, it tends to be the lower legs. So one thing that I know I directly kind of see in clinic is if I talk to a lot of women and they they do answer, yes, I do do a lot of running, I'll always say, well, do you wear sunscreen? And the answer is usually mixed bag. But often the ones that say yes, my next question will then be, do you just wear it on your face or do you wear it on other parts of your body as well? And it's surprising how often I hear that people think about their face, but they, you know, they're training in a pair of shorts, but they haven't put sunscreen on their legs or they're in a vest and they haven't put any sunscreen on their arms. And actually, the commonest site of melanoma in women is the lower legs. So that's an area that you really don't want to be missing. So I'd say rule of thumb is if you are training in a vest and a pair of shorts, anything that's exposed to sunlight needs to have sunscreen on it. I was just wondering, does that extend to the lips? Because I think that's often an area that, that's missed, but obviously it is exposed all, all the time when we're outside. That's right. If you look at common areas that people tend to miss when they're applying their sunscreen on their face, lips are one area that people don't think about. The other one is eyelids. Third one is ears. Um, and the reason for that, I think, is, you know, again, we, we're very good about thinking about like generally our facial skin, but we seem to think of our eyes as a separate area, our lips as a separate area. And then for women, um, you know, if you're wearing a hairband, but you haven't, t- but you or you've tied your 
hair up. Men naturally are fairly good at remembering their ears. Women, not so much, because I think usually they have their hair down so their ears are covered, that when you tie it up to go and do sport, it doesn't occur to you to then put the sunscreen on those sites. So they are three areas, absolutely, that one does need to think about because they are going to be areas that are exposed. If you kind of met someone when they were a young adult and they were just starting um, a sporting career, what would be your main advice for kind of what level of sun protection they should be using, how often they should be applying, um, what would kind of be your your dream scenario for someone to protect their skin? Okay, so the first thing I would say is there is so much data that shows that we massively underapply our sunscreen. So going for a higher factor is always better because chances are that if you go for a lower factor, you haven't put enough on. You might think you're getting a factor 30, but actually by the time you put it on your skin, it works out to more like a factor 15 or 20. So I would always say go for a 50 where you can to allow for the fact that you are probably not going to use as much as you need. We never do. The second thing that I would say if you're kind of starting out on your sort of sunscreen journey is making sure that you're also putting enough on. Now, how much is enough? Well, I mean, what we tend to say is for an adult body, about enough sunscreen to fill a shot glass should be about right. So that's a lot more than we tend to think about. The third thing is sunscreen is only part of your armory in terms of looking after your skin. You know, it is important if possible, you know, you you protect your eyes with UV protection sunglasses. You know, that's going to prevent you getting cataracts and age-related changes in your eyes in the future. If possible, and you can train outside the window of peak daylight hours between midday and 3 p.m., that would be a better option. Go early in the morning or go later in the evening. In addition to that, you know, if, if that's impossible, think also about UPF clothing and getting protection from clothing as well. So sunscreen is only one part of how we seek kind of like healthy behavior in the sunshine. So there are lots of things to think about. And one thing I would say, particularly if you're in your teenage years and you're starting out, is if you have five or more blistering sunburns before the age of 18, that can double your lifetime risk of getting melanoma. That's quite significant. So sunburns at a young age actually need to be taken quite seriously. So, you know, the sooner you start, the better, basically. Yeah, thank you for that. Just in terms of um, UPF clothing, would you mind just explaining what UPF um, clothing is firstly? And I guess from... A personal question. I have, I've tried to find UPF clothing. I actually find it quite difficult in this country. So how how important is that when, when you're running in the UK? Um, and should that just be used in the, the kind of hot summer months? Or is that something we should actually be considering even in the spring and the autumn? Okay, I'll, we'll talk about what UPF is, and then I'll come back to how often and yeah. what we're using it. So UPF, so it ultimately stands for ultraviolet protection factor of clothing. And it essentially determines the amount of UV light that can be transmitted through clothing fabric. So a standard white t-shirt is about a UPF five to eight. Now, clothing UPF can be broken down into kind of good, very good and excellent. But what you're looking to get is a UPF factor about 40 to 50. And that will block out about 97 to 98% of ultraviolet rays coming through. So that's pretty good block if you think about it. Now, a lot of this is based on the kind of fabrics that are used. So 
Things like cotton and rayon fabrics, they are the worst ultraviolet absorbers. Things like 100% polyester, merino wool, they're really, really good at absorbing UV. But ultimately, you're looking for a UPF of 40 to 50 in conjunction with your sunscreen and your hats and your caps and your sunglasses, as well as those avoiding peak daylight hours is what I would say. Now, in terms of the UK and UPF and when we should be wearing it, well, what I would say is if you are training in the probably winter, um, spring and autumn months. We have got a very northerly latitude in the UK. Your risk of sunburn is is very low, particularly at this time of year in the middle of winter. So I don't think you need to be obsessing about UPF at this time of year. However, in the summer months in the UK, there's absolutely no doubt that our summers are getting hotter. And if you are going for a long run and it's going to be a hot day in the peak of summer, um, you know, it's 25, 30 degrees, you're going to be out for several hours at a time potentially, then I think that would be the occasion where, yes, it would be worthwhile to do that, but in conjunction again with the sunscreen and all of the other protective measures as well. Yeah. And all of this advice, is it relevant to all skin types? What I would say is that we know that the risk of sunburn and subsequent skin cancer development is much higher in fair skin types. So those with red hair, blue eyes, fair skin that tends to burn very easily in the sun. Darker skin types, so for example, Asian and black skin, you do find that actually, you know, it can burn, but the risk of burn is is much, much lower. And therefore, the risk of skin cancer is much, much lower. So I would say that the, the, the bottom line here is you need to be more careful if your skin is more fair. For darker skin types, the issues are slightly different with the sun. Yes, there is a theoretical risk of skin cancer, which is much lower. But what can happen with darker skin types, particularly if they have prolonged sunshine, is problems with pigmentation and skin aging further down the line. So from a skin cancer risk point of view, one does not need to be quite as vigilant if one is darker skinned, It takes dark skin much more time to make vitamin D from the sun. Dark skin is much more likely to be vitamin D deficient. So I think dark skin is slightly less of a worry from the skin cancer point of view. And just on the the topic of vitamin D, I think that's often something that people are quite concerned about if they're applying lots of sunscreen, if they're going to be able to make as much vitamin D uh, to meet their their minimum requirements. Is that something that's true? Is that a myth? Will we make enough vitamin D regardless of um, our sunscreen use? We will. So, And there are studies which have looked at this, fairly recent studies as well, that have come out in the past year or so. And in actual fact, what it seems to show is people that do wear sunscreen, it does not impact their vitamin D production. What I would say is it, the reason for that is probably because we just never use enough of it. No sunscreen is going to 100% block out UV. That, that's the bottom line. It just won't. You know, short of us going and living in a cave forever, there's no way of blocking out ultraviolet light permanently. So I think that that's one thing that you must not be concerned about, you know, wearing sunscreen, reapplying it, particularly if you're outdoors a lot and you're doing sport as well. There's no way you're 100% perfected, protected. You will be making your vitamin D. Thanks. And just to clarify, for for runners that are based in the UK, uh, we spoke about applying sunscreen on runs. Is that something that we should be doing all year round? I know we discussed that UPF clothing is kind of more important during those hot summer months. 
for runners that are say marathon training through the winter and are out for a few hours during colder days should they be wearing sunscreen as well or should it just be more focused on the the warmer months what i'd say is if you again if you're outdoors for long periods of time in the uk in the middle of december january february it might just be easier to wear your upf clothing than to have to worry about putting sunscreen on as well in terms of whether or not there is enough sunlight around at this time of year to actually burn our skin A lot of that comes down to how naturally fair your skin is. Very, very light skin types, if they're outdoors on a cold, bright, but sunny day, they may still find their skin will become red and it will burn. So any exposed area, which will usually be your your face, your neck and your ears, most likely in the winter months, it is still worthwhile applying sunscreen to those sites. Um, The primary reason is to reduce the burn risk if you're fair but secondarily reasons as well I would say probably you will get cosmetic benefits further down the line as well in terms of skin aging if you spend a lot of time outside you will notice the skin will age more quickly otherwise and just in terms of applying sunscreen all those tips were really useful I was just wondering um, obviously a lot of sunscreens can be marketed as uh, water resistant for sports do you think there's actually any evidence that those are any better for sports or if you come across any products that you do think are more beneficial for people that are exercising a lot and having problems with sweating so it can be quite difficult to actually find a a product that's suitable for your skin when you are kind of going on long runs for a few hours at a time no absolutely and I think um with sunscreens in general and sweating I I think that there are there are a couple of brands I think are quite good um but ultimately I do think that sunscreen that you like and that you're going to use that's always such a derm thing to say but it's the best one because you will actually use it I know there's been a lot of kind of question mark about you know are sunscreens water resistant or not one thing I would say is when sunscreens are produced in the lab and they are tested in the lab they are not allowed to say they're waterproof they're only allowed to say that they are water resistant and that water resistance testing only takes place for 45 minutes they do not test it beyond that period so if you are putting your sunscreen on just before you leave and then you're not reapplying it until three hours later and it says it's water resistant and you have been sweating profusely most of that sunscreen is not really going to be giving you any protection probably about 45 minutes plus onwards so the reapplication part of this is quite important. You know, you you can't say that something is legally more water resistant for more than 45 minutes because it's just not been tested in that way. And that's kind of standard sunscreen testing in certainly the UK and Europe and, and how it takes place. The other common thing that I get asked about sunscreen in general is actually, you know, if you are sweating a lot and you're wearing sunscreen, can that have a detrimental effect on sort of like thermoregulation and, and, and sort of heat and cooling of the body? And I just want to touch on the fact that there's a lot of data and the balance of the data shows that wearing sunscreen has got no detrimental effects on performance or heat regulation. So if you're doing sport, you should really be wearing that sunscreen. There's no good reason not to be doing it on the excuse of performance or my body's not cooling down properly. Okay. On on the topic of performance, actually, um, and, and kind of linked in with the, the reapplication advice. So reapplication advice is, uh, as you mentioned, 45 minutes if, if you're sweating profusely would ideally be when you're reapplying, whereas I think the standard advice is every two to three hours. For people that are taking part in, in long events, be that a triathlon or even a marathon or, or ultra, what would be the advice in terms of reapplication in those events? And do you have any tips about how to achieve that? Because actually, it's quite difficult if you're, say, 
doing a race where you're trying to carry as little as possible. Yeah, and I think there's no easy answer to that. Um, What I would say is there is kind of like the perfect ideal world scenario. Um, And then I think everything that we do comes with a recognized kind of risk and benefit of what we want to do. So if you are competing, if you are training, and that's very important to you and your mental health, then what I would say is that the trade-off of that becomes, I agree, it's not practical to be whipping out your sunscreen, stopping everything, derobing, covering everything before you go again. So what I would say is make sure that you have reapplied just before you're about to go, but before you're about to set off. If possible, you know, if you've got a spray type sunscreen that you can at least just very as you're running spray it on your arms, that's that's one thing that you could look at. But I think from a practical point of view, it's very difficult. You know, the the, the kind of standard advice is yes, you should be reapplying every two to three hours. The, the practicality though is it depends on a lot of variables. Um, you know, if you're doing a race in the middle of winter or you're doing it in a very northern climate where there's very little sunlight, your risk of burn is probably going to be quite low. But if you're doing that in an equatorial climate or somewhere which is pretty hot or in the peak of summer, then actually your risk becomes much, much higher. So it is a trade-off of recognizing, yes, I enjoy this sport. I also recognize the trade-off of that is I'm getting a lot of sun exposure as a result of this. So I will do the best that I can that is physically possible in this scenario. But I accept that there may be some risk associated with that. So once you do that, I guess the next thing then becomes how you then make sure that you are looking after your skin and you're being vigilant. So if you know that you are getting a lot of sun exposure or you've had a lot of sun exposure as a result of sport, it's making sure that you are getting your skin checked out. If you've got any moles that are changing in their size, their shape or their color, you don't sit on it. You go and get it reviewed by your GP or a dermatologist. If you start getting any new lumps, bumps, non-healing patches or sores, again, you don't sit on that. You make sure that it's reviewed because your risk is higher because you know you've had that sun exposure. Yeah, and I, I think uh, that's really important, isn't it? Early recognition. And um, I think the ABCDE approach is relatively well advertised to help make people more aware of what to look for. Could we just run through quickly what the ABCDE approach is, just so people kind of have an acronym in their head of features to look out for if they do see any skin changes? That's right. So ABCDE is a really useful way of kind of monitoring moles and keeping an eye on them. So the A stands for asymmetry. Um, So the way to think about that is if you've got a mole that you're concerned about, can you draw a line through it either vertically or horizontally and fold it over on itself? Does it look exactly the same on both sides or does it look slightly different through both sides? If it's asymmetrical, that could potentially be a sign of concern. B is the border. Um, And then the way I think about this is, can I get a pen and can I very evenly draw around the edges of that mole? Or are the edges really jaggedy and indistinct and I can't really quite see where it's beginning or ending? If the mole has got a nice regular border, that's quite reassuring. But if the border is irregular or jaggedy or indistinct, that could potentially also be a worrying sign. C is the color of the mole. And if a mole has got lots and lots of colors within it, you've got a a dark brown bit and a light brown bit and a white bit and a black bit and a red bit, that is far more concerning than a mole which has got a nice even color all the way throughout it. D is the diameter. So a mole that's bigger than about half a centimeter is worthwhile getting checked out. And then E is evolving. Is that mole changing at all in its size, its shape, or its color? 
Now, from a practical point of view, not any single one of those features indicates a problem. It's completely normal for moles to increase in number as we get older. It is also possible for moles to change, particularly during hormonal influences, for example, puberty, pregnancy, through you know hormones. We see that. So not every change means it's bad. But what a change means is it should be an alert to make sure that you're getting things you know checked out and looked at. And then the final thing I'd say, aside from the ABCDE that's worth bearing in mind, is something that we call the ugly duckling sign. So the ugly duckling sign is essentially when you look at all of your moles, you'll probably find that most of your moles are a similar color. You know, they're either all kind of a mid brown or a light brown. If you have got one mole that just looks completely different to the rest of you, just the context is different. That should also be an alarm sign that that is not normal for you. And that's another reason why you should actually think about going to see a GP or a health professional. We've spoken a lot about preventing, which is obviously the the ideal scenario. We kind of, I guess, have missed out the step in between in, in that when people do get a sunburn, is there anything that can be done um, post sunburn in terms of protecting the skin? So the first thing I would say is absolutely prevention is better. But, you know, sunburn happens. Um, and once it has happened, the first thing that you need to realize is when your skin is burned, that is actually your body's way of protecting itself because you have had DNA damage to the cells in your skin. You need to get out of the sun. That sounds really obvious, but that is the very first thing that you need to do. Some people find that um, taking cool baths to avoid showers, because if you're showering, the pressure from the shower can burst the blisters and that can feel a little bit uncomfortable. So I would say cool baths are a good way of making sure your skin is cleansed, but also to reduce the heat that you've got in the skin as well. The third thing that I would say that can be quite helpful just as a a general point of view is making sure that you're staying hydrated because you can get a lot of fluid loss through your skin if you're sunburnt. You know, your skin is a barrier. It's there to keep good things in and bad things out. And if your skin isn't functioning properly, you're going to lose a lot of water through the surface. So drinking plenty of water to prevent dehydration, ideally avoiding things like alcohol, which can make things worse because it's also a, a diuretic. It can help you lose water. Other than that, um, you can also use very gentle, mild steroid creams that you can purchase over the counter. So a 0.5 or a 1% hydrocortisone can be used to the affected areas for a day or two. And that can also help reduce the pain and the swelling that you can get from sunburn and speed up the healing process as well. I wouldn't do this in children, but doing it in adults is totally fine. And then using fragrance-free creams, lotions, you know, gels containing aloe vera or soy can all be helpful because they can all act as an anti-inflammatory as well. But, you know, the big one really is you've got to get out of the sun. That's that's really um, been really interesting for me and also just clarified a, a few things that I wasn't too clear on and hopefully useful for everyone listening as well. Is there any last things that you wanted to add or any key takeaways you have for, for anyone listening? Oh, I think the key thing actually is, you know, um, just use that sunscreen, you know. And one of the things I would say is in the winter in the UK, honestly, we, we don't have that much sunlight around. And we are northerly northerly latitude enough that it's not going to cause us massive issues. But I think a lot of it is about habit. And I think that if you just get into the habit of doing it, it will become second nature. It won't feel like a hassle that you've got to do it. And if people want to learn more about skincare or find out some more information about about you and, and all the information that you put out there on Instagram, where can they find you? Uh, probably easiest place is the Instagram, which is at Anjali Marte. So thank you so much, Anjali. Um, and thank you for sharing all that great information. Thank you. Thank you so much to Anjali for joining me and discussing some really important topics. 
If you want to hear more from Anjali, then you can find her on Instagram by searching Anjali Marto. And if you're interested to learn more about the skin, then I can highly recommend her book, The Skincare Bible. You can find me by searching Marathon Medic on Instagram or by visiting marathonmedic.com for running tips, session ideas and route inspiration. Thanks for listening.